Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Scott Knuckles with The Untold Story. Thank you for joining me. I hope today's message will drive you to a greater faith, a more lasting hope, and a deeper love for others and yourself. I'm reminded of the quote by Thomas Edison. He said, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Let's get started with today's podcast. No doubt that many of you hearing this podcast have heard or seen the movie Braveheart. The film was nominated for 10 Academy Awards and walked away with five. William Wallace, an 11th century Scottish warrior, led an army to fight for Scotland's independence from King Edward I of England. After leading the Scottish army to several victories, William Wallace had his eyes on something far grander, a free Scotland. There's a famous scene in that movie where Mel Gibson speaks to the entire Scottish army. He said, For presenting yourselves on this battlefield, I give you thanks. He says to Scottish leaders, If this is your army, why does it go? The soldier said in return, Home, for the English are too many. He says, Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. A soldier then said, William Wallace is seven feet tall. He kills men by the hundreds. Wallace said, If he were here, he would consume the English with fireballs and lightning. He said, I see a whole army here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? The men said, fight? Fight against that? No, and we will run and we will live. Wallace said, fight and you may die. Run and you will live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day till that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies, one chance to come back and tell our enemies, you may take our lives, but you will never take our freedom. On that day, July 22nd, 1298, William Wallace inspired an army to stand up to tyranny. In 1502, in Florence, Italy, a block of marble stood in the works department of the Church of Santa Maria del Fiore. It had once been a magnificent piece of raw stone, but an unskilled sculptor had mistakenly bored a hole through it where there should have been a figure's legs. This rendered the marble useless. Pierre Solarini, Florence's mayor, wanted to save the block of marble and tried to commission Leonardo da Vinci to craft something out of it. But most artists agreed that the stone had been ruined. For a time, it gathered dust in the halls of the church until some Florentine friends recommended 
a mostly unknown artist, to take up the work. This 26-year-old unknown artist convinced the leaders that he deserved the commission. That artist was the great Michelangelo. Michelangelo traveled from Rome, where he was living, to Florence. He examined the stone carefully and concluded that he could carve a figure from it by adapting the pose to the way the rock had been mutilated. Many argued that this work was a waste of time and that nobody could salvage such a disaster. But in the end, the mayor agreed to let Michelangelo work on it. Michelangelo decided it would depict a young David with a sling in hand. What's curious is that many statues depicting David showed him as the victor over the defeated giant, not as one about to slay the giant. This depiction, unlike the others before it, shows David before the battle actually begins. Instead of being shown victorious over a foe much larger than he, David looks tense and ready for battle after he has made the decision to fight Goliath. He chose to show David with nothing more than a sling. It took him nearly three years to complete this masterpiece. The title of today's podcast is, Are You Ready to Slay the Giant? The scripture text for our discussion is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'd love to unpack the backstory. The Israelites were at war with the Philistines. The Lord had given the land of the Philistines to the Israelites. Now listen, this represented about 60,000 square miles. As a point of reference, that represents about the size of the state of Georgia. However, today, the Israelites occupy less than 20% of the land God promised them. When Joshua, who was the leader at that time, when he was old, he, he mentioned there was still land that needed to be conquered. Both armies geared up for battle with the Philistines occupying one hill and the Israelites the other with both overlooking a valley below. The outcome of this battle is significant. It would be contested by two champions. This was proposed as a winner-takes-all battle. One fight to determine the outcome of the war. What was the outcome? The loser would become slaves of the victor. Yes, slaves. The Bible says that this proposal terrified King Saul and his soldiers. To be terrified means to be petrified and horrified with extreme fear. In addition, the soldiers were dismayed, which means to shock, to be in complete shock and distress. Who was this soldier that evoked fear into an entire army? His name is Goliath. He was a fighter since his youth, nearly 10 feet tall. His armor alone weighed 125 pounds. The tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Nearly every part of his body was covered with armor. 
For forty days Goliath came forward in the morning and in the evening and took his stand. But no one from Israel showed up. No one, not one, was brave enough to fight him, not even the king himself. The army became paralyzed. Even the king succumbed to fear. When the Israelites saw Goliath, they ran from him in great fear. Day after day, there seemed to be no way around this giant. The soldiers couldn't see past him, and the king could not confront him. The land had been promised, but there was no one willing to fight the giant for it. They could see the land from the hill, but didn't have the courage to conquer it. And what about David? What about this warrior? He was not a soldier, but a shepherd. Historians estimate that he was merely 15 years old. In addition to being a shepherd, he was a musician that played the harp. He became an armor-bearer for the king, but his real role was playing the harp. Jesse, his father, was the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. He had eight sons, and David was the youngest. His three oldest brothers served in Saul's army. David, however, was called a mighty man of valor in the previous chapter. However, this brave man happened to only be a boy. The other things we see in the Bible is that he spoke well, was fine-looking, and probably the most important is that the Lord was with him. The king was so concerned about this giant and defeating this army that he offered everything for someone to step up and defeat him. Great wealth. I'll give you my daughter in marriage. I'll exempt you from taxes. Not one soldier took the challenge. Did you know that David was merely at the battle to check on his brothers? When he heard the situation, David begged Saul to take on the Philistine. He was armed with only his confidence in God and a sling and five stones. David asked those around him, Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? When David's oldest brother heard him speaking, he became furious. What are you doing here? What are you up to? David said to the king, however, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. King Saul became convinced that David could win. He probably wouldn't have risked the kingdom unless he believed that David had favor. He said, The Lord be with you. What any good king would do, well, he offered David his armor. But because he hadn't tested it, he didn't feel comfortable. Didn't feel comfortable wearing it. Not to mention that it was way too heavy for a 15-year-old, and it was a custom fit for a tall warrior king. No, David had a sling and decided to choose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Let's pick up the story in verses 43 through 53. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beast of the field. 
David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. After forty days, the battle was over, and in an instant, the terrified and dismayed soldiers of Israel were victors at the hand of a fifteen-year-old boy. For those of you that have teenage boys or you're a teenager yourself, I have too. It puts into perspective a boy fighting a giant. Imagine your teenage son getting in the ring with Evander Holyfield or George Foreman or Mike Tyson. We couldn't imagine it. But in this case, it happened. So what was David's view of the situation? Here we have this young shepherd boy. Why did he have such a different view? Was it because he remembered that God had previously rescued him from a lion and a bear? Was it because he experienced righteous indignation upon hearing the name of his God blasphemed? You know, Merriam-Webster defines blaspheming as the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. Was it because he knew that the battle was already won? I love Deuteronomy 21-4. through God himself says, When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, will be with you. When you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you're going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. 
Do you think David remembered how the Lord brought victory against the Egyptians by parting the sea? Do you think he remembered the story about the walls of Jericho that came down by marching around it seven times while shouting praise to the Lord? Do you think he remembered the story of Samson and how he slayed a thousand Philistines with a donkey jawbone? Maybe he was thinking, if God can do it for him, he can do it for me. See, the giant in our life wants to tell us what facts to consider to shake our faith. The giant's goal is to intimidate by size and words. The giant thought size made him indestructible. The giant told the Israelites that they were servants of Saul. But David told the giant that, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The giant said, you can't beat me. But David said, today, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. The giant said, if you fight me, I'll feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said, this day, the Lord will hand not only you, but your entire army over to us. So what are the keys to slaying the giant in our lives? How can we overcome? How can faith arise within us in such a way that the giant becomes smaller, our faith becomes grander, and we walk in the confidence that God would have us to? Actually, the first thing we must recognize is that the battle is the Lord's. David said to everyone within the sound of his voice, This battle belongs to the Lord. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. All of David's hope was placed in the Lord, not in his own ability. David recognized that it was not his ability that would conquer the giant. The Bible tells us to cast all our cares on him, to bring our burdens to him. Sometimes we must wait and prepare for battle and then the Lord will open the door to victory. So we must always recognize that when there's a battle, it's the Lord's, not ours. So it could be sickness, divorce, stress at work, money, lack, anxiety, fear, and so much more, and so much more difficult. But we must recognize the battle is the Lord's. The second thing we have to do is believe in the sovereignty of God. This is one of my favorite words, because when you believe in the sovereignty of God, our faith automatically grows. If you look up that word in the dictionary, you would find phrases like superior, greatest, supreme in power and authority, ruler, and independent of all others. I think the easiest way to explain it is to simply say, or to know within your heart, God is in complete control. As a Christian, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, there is absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. As King of kings and Lord of lords, God has no limitations. He is all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient all-knowing. Consider just a few of the claims the Bible makes about God. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Our God is immortal and he is present everywhere so that everyone can know him. Isaiah 46, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. What about in Colossians chapter 1 where it says that God created all things and holds all things together, both in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. Hallelujah. In Romans 11, it says there's no limit to his knowledge. God knows everything completely before it even happens. See, what we must always remember is that we live in time and space. God lives outside time and space. He created it. Jeremiah 32 says that nothing is too difficult for him, that his purposes are great and mighty is his deeds. Whatever he wants to do in the universe, he does, for nothing is impossible with him. That's what being sovereign means. It means being the ultimate source of all power, authority, and everything that exists is subject to him. Only God can make those claims. Therefore, it's God's sovereignty that makes him superior to all other gods and makes him and him alone worthy of our worship. Romans 8.28 promises that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Whatever you are going through, you can take comfort that God knows. He understands what you're going through and that he is moved by your situation and has a plan. We can take comfort and confidence from that. God's sovereignty must be recognized in everything we do. Number three is we must live by faith. It's critical. We have to put into practice what we read in Scripture. The first thing the enemy did in the garden was get Adam and Eve to doubt what God said. He tried to do the same thing to Jesus when he tried to tempt him while he was fasting. That is what the enemy is trying to do to you and me. He wants us to doubt the word, that the word won't come true for us, that it doesn't apply to us, maybe someone else, but not us. See, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If the enemy, if he can get us to doubt, then we will begin to trust in ourselves or others to make things happen. We will supplant our creator for something created. There's a great quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, we live by faith or we do not live at all. Either we venture or we vegetate. If we venture, we do so by faith simply because we cannot know the end of anything at its beginning. We risk marriage or we stay single. We prepare for a profession of faith or we give up before we start. 
by faith we move mountains of opposition or we are stopped by molehills. Our past experiences of trusting His Word will remind you and me of who God is and how He provides for us. So number three, we must live by faith. Do you know that faith is like a muscle? It must be exercised. But but how do we exercise it? Now, I don't know about you, but I, w- I like to work out. And anytime I work out a new muscle or something, the very next day it hurts. And usually the day after, given that I'm older now. Think about this. An entire army arrayed on a hill. Why didn't any other soldier step forward and slay that giant? We know that the measure of faith given to every believer can grow. Our faith must be strengthened by exercising it or putting it into practice. Someone once said, what you feed grows and what you starve dies. I love this quote by F.F. Bosworth. He was an evangelist in the early days of the Assembly God. And he said, most Christians feed their body three hot meals a day and their spirit one cold snack a week. And they wonder why they're so weak in faith. God's word is faith food. And if we want our faith to grow, we must feed it more than once a week. If we want our faith to grow, we have to start where we are. No one climbs a ladder starting on the top rung. We've got to start on the bottom rung and climb our way up if we're going to reach the top. That's the thing that defeats a lot of well-meaning Christians. They try to believe beyond their faith. Well, how did David develop such faith? He was only a shepherd after all. But the Bible records the test that he went through. When a lion or bear carried off sheep, David took action and trusted God that the decision he was making was the right one. Faith requires action. David still had to fight the battle, but he knew the outcome wouldn't be apart from God's will. David was close to the Lord. Somewhere around half of all the Psalms are attributed to him. He had hard times and major struggles, but he meditated on God's word and put his faith into action. That is why faith is symbolic of a mustard seed. It starts all small, but grows over time. Faith is like a muscle. It must be exercised continually. The more we exercise, the stronger it gets. The fifth thing I've seen in this story is that we we must stir up God's Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our guide, that He'll provide confirmation along with the Word. He will give us the direction we need. It was the spirit that rose up within David when he heard the giant speaking. In John 16, it says, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. You know what? The enemy is afraid that we'll wake up and realize who we really are in Christ Jesus that we have the Spirit of the living God residing within us. The Word says, If God be for us, who can be against us? 
Isaiah 59, 19 says, When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. See, we fight not against flesh and blood, the Bible says. The battle is actually spiritual. It always is. You may think you're battling in the flesh, but it is time to war in the Spirit. That's why we are told to put on the armor so that we can take our stand against the enemy and be victorious. As Christians, we do not ever give up. We do not back down. We stand firm in the truth that God is in control of all things. So we have to stir up the Holy Spirit. And six, faith inspires faith. Let me tell you what blesses me about this story is that after Saul heard David begging to let him fight, he was willing to risk turning his entire nation into slaves to the Philistine army. He was moved by David's words and perhaps David's trust in God. King Saul risked his entire kingdom in the hands of a 15-year-old. He said, Go, and the Lord be with you. When we stand up and exercise faith, it is contagious. It gives others confidence in the king to perform. We as Christians must inspire others to exercise faith so that they can experience the faithfulness of God. Faith will inspire faith in others. And finally, got to be careful of the advice we receive. David's brothers tried to draw him into fear, but David wouldn't have it. They judged his motives and were wrong. Sometimes the advice of others is wrong or misplaced. King Saul, in fact, wanted to help David by providing his armor. But David realized it wasn't the right solution. Faith is a delicate thing and we can't always expect others to be united with us. Sometimes we have to make the journey alone, so we always have to be careful of the advice we receive. In conclusion, what is bothering you? What keeps you up at night? What holds you back from reaching your full potential in Christ? Have you let the giant captivate you with fear? The entire army of Israel, along with the king, was swept up in it. We aren't immune to fear, but the Lord wants us to be. Have you been defeated before the battle has begun? Have you laid down your armor and surrendered? Have you hid from the battle because you think you know the outcome? Have you empowered your circumstances because that is what you believe is your lot in life? But what happened when one man stood up to the giant and exercised faith? There were some major benefits. In an instant, the faith of the soldiers was bolstered. The soldiers surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines and were victorious. They went from fear of becoming a slave to plundering their enemy. So what happened on that day, July 22, 1298? at Falkirk, with William Wallace and that army that he inspired. Unfortunately, they were defeated that day. For Wallace, he suffered a massive defeat and resigned his position. 
Wallace would refuse to submit to British rule, and the king's men pursued him until August 5, 1305. As the prior stood over him, he said, It can all end right now. Just say it. Cry out, mercy. The prior said to him, Cry out, just say it, mercy. William Wallace didn't request mercy that day. He cried out for freedom. The truth apart from Hollywood fiction is that seven years after the battle, he was captured and taken to London and condemned as a traitor. He suffered a gruesome death that's hard to describe. He was stripped naked, dragged for six miles behind a horse while being pelted with fruit, excrement, and stones. He was hanged within an inch of his life. He was relieved of his manhood and his intestines, beheaded and quartered. He was considered a martyr given his love for Scotland and his fight for freedom. It took 23 years after Wallace's death for Scotland to gain that freedom. Who is that that will stand up, stand in the gap and be counted, that will press on even when they have to travel the road alone? William Wallace gave his all for freedom, everything for freedom, put his life on the line for a nation that yearned for freedom. God is so pleased when we stand up against the giants in our lives. God increases in our lives and the giants decrease. What happened to the statue of David? He sits proudly in Florence at the Academy. It's the number one tourist attraction. What you may not know is that Michelangelo only had one other commission under his belt before being given the right to chisel David from that block of marble. The colossal size of the statue alone impressed Michelangelo's contemporaries. Michelangelo would go on to become one of the most famous artists in history. Michelangelo's David, one of the most famous works of art known to man today. Did you know that beautiful block of stone remained neglected for 26 years before it was brought to life? David stands tall with an imposing 17-foot marble statue. It shows the level of intensity with David. His eyes are deep and focused. His body shows definition with his muscles, veins bulging from his leg. His brow is drawn his neck tense, and the veins bulge out of his lower right hand. His left hand holds a sling that is draped over his shoulder and down to his right hand, which holds the handle of the sling. I want to read a portion of Psalm 18 that David wrote when he was going through hardship. This is how David warred in the spirit when facing the giants in life. We don't have to make our prayers complicated. All we have to do is get in the presence of our Lord. What I want you to do, if you will, is envision the very giant that is in your life right now at this moment, as I read how David handled it. 
I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. Brothers and sisters, let's be counted as one that is faithful. Let's war in the spirit and watch the Lord defeat the giant. Come and let us move the hand of God to defeat the giants in our lives. Whenever we are battling God, is our victory. God is our victor. We must never forget that God looks for availability, not ability. David wasn't even in the army. God had to use someone else that could have a different perspective to bring about victory. Someone that wasn't bound by fear and distress. Someone that could see an opportunity someone with righteous indignation at this man who blurted out cursings, insults, and contempt against his God, Israel's God. David beat Goliath with a slingshot and a single rock. An entire army was afraid. He evoked fear from the king all the way down to the ranks of the soldiers. But in the end, It was God who brought about victory through the life of a 15-year-old. God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Would you take a moment and provide a rating, subscribe, and consider sharing this message of encouragement with others? You can also visit us on scottknuckles.com to get more information. Until next time, blessings.